Well, good morning and welcome again to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. We are delighted that you chose to worship with us today. Um, I'm just thinking, there, there are so many thoughts running through my mind this morning in, in preparation for this moment, in the service, things that were said in the service. I was thinking as, uh, as the guys were praying uh, for Neil and Brian and David were praying for our country, and Neil said, we pray for the leaders because as go the leaders, so go the nation, so goes the nation. And that's true, we all know that, and we do need to be praying for our leaders. It struck me we ought to be praying for the leaders in China as well. Um, I, I, I think there's little doubt in anybody's mind who is who is willing to think rationally, objectively about it. China's the next great world power. And the gospel is going there. There are thousands of people coming to Jesus Christ every day. We need people in the leadership of China. We want, by the time China is the next world power, we want them to have a benevolent government uh, and, and carry on the cause of freedom in the world. I'm not suggesting that America is completely done. I Look, it's going to take a, it, it, it will be a miracle if we get it back. My heart is sick about what is happening in our country. We have a greater connection to the kingdom even than we do. Look, as David mentioned in his prayer about there are people all over the world that can't pray loudly like we are. Most of the people in the world are not praying that their government will maintain its its commitment to Christian values and 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 will be a force of good in the world or a source of good in the world. Most people aren't praying that. That's not believers. They they live in countries that are oppressive and and look, we just need to be praying about the right things. Pray that Muslims will be converted. Iraq, it's Man, it's, it's getting more and more difficult. Christians are being wiped out in Iraq right now. Pray for our brothers and sisters who are facing the sword uh, in that country. But in Iran, there's a mini revival going on. A lot of Muslims coming to Christ in Iran. God's just always up to something. And we need to recognize that the kingdom, this already not yet kingdom that I'll mention again a little bit, goes well beyond the borders of the United States. So be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. Be praying also for our brothers and sisters in this particular body. As David, uh, I was thinking as we were singing, uh, there is no hope other than you. Say the words, David. This in my mind. I can't think of the words. Not, not your love is higher, but the bridge to um, all our hope is in you to Jesus Messiah. All our hope is in you. All glory to you, God. So we've got several medical crises in our body. And just thinking about the, just a handful who can't be here today. There are several of you here with broken hands and in the middle of chemo and, you know, things like that. But Max Callahan has leukemia. He begins chemo tomorrow. Uh, Norma slipping into dementia. And um, Max, the request from Norma is 
please send Max funny cards. Would you do that? He needs to laugh. Look, uh, all of us recognize how difficult it, it can be. Um, so send him funny cards. Same for Elise. And, and then Cindy Newton should be coming home in the next day or two. But uh, Cindy has had abdominal surgery for cancer, removed cancer. And her blood counts are pretty low. Hemoglobin is really low. Pray that those will be elevated and pray that Elise will be able to swallow. That's the big thing. You know, in the early stages of this last week, she couldn't swallow and that was scary. Now she's able to force it if she really works at it, but she's almost scared to. And you can imagine how all of that goes. But I want to tell you, Elise Finnerty's hope is in Jesus. It's in, it's in the Lord. She is not hoping in this world. That doesn't mean she's given up hope. She wants to, to live as long as the Lord will let her, just like all of us do. But her hope is in Jesus. So just pray for those families. Those are just a few. We've got, we got stuff going on all over the place. Sarah, who uh, shared last week, is in a tough spot right now. And, and Uganda, she's, she's a little scared over there. She's on her own and, and, and a little scared. So pray for her. Just pray for our brothers and sisters. We went a long time in this church with very little problems. Very few sicknesses, illnesses, a long time. But now's our time, and we need to rise. And thank you. Those of you, some of you are cooking meals, and some are going to provide rides for Max and Norma to, um, to, to Sanford for, for his chemo treatments. And so just keep, just keep coming along. The, uh, the Debbie Nelsons of our body, you know, is going through chemo and just saying, praying for you, loving you. Thank the Lord for you. So glad you're a part of who we are, a part of our body, all of that. Well, it's a, kind of an awkward uh, uh, segue into the message, but here are the, here, here's, here's the first question that I have for you in the message. How would you like to be remembered? I'm not talking about if you leave next week, you know, and then how are people going. But if it's an honest-to-goodness funeral and you're up here and people are going to say things about you and they're going to say honest things about you, how do you want to be remembered? Um, even you, most likely you would want people to say, I'm thankful that this person made a difference in my life or in the lives of others. Um. Even if we were sick toward the end, you know, you want people to say, well, that's not how I remember him. I remember when he was doing so many good things for people. Or I remember the way that she just lit up a room with her smile. Her smile would just help everybody smile. That's how I remember her. How does Jesus want us to remember him? By his death. Not by his birth. Not by his life, not by his resurrection, but by his death. So, according to John Stott, thus according to John Stott, no cross, no Christianity. On the night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, This is my body, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out. For many, or it's as it's stated in another place, this is the new covenant in my blood. Luke records that on the night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he told his disciples to eat and drink in remembrance of him. 
In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul affirmed those words of Jesus. Do this whenever you drink this cup, whenever you eat this bread, in remembrance of me. Those were his words on the Thursday night before he was crucified. Now, just think of all that Jesus accomplished in his life. Just think of all the misery that he corrected in people's lives. If, if he were here, we would expect that he would go and touch at least and touch um, uh, Cindy and, and all of the others we've mentioned and so many that are struggling with other things that we haven't mentioned this morning. And it would be the end of those struggles. Just think of all the misery he eliminated and all the hope that he gave to those who were miserable, all of the marvelous teaching with which he inspired so many. And yet Jesus said, remember my death. At mealtime. Not just any mealtime, but when God's covenant people are gathered and they come before the Lord's table as we will this morning. And they eat the bread and drink the fruit of the vine. When they do so, they are to remember his death. So what does that mean to remember his death? Um, Many of you, or those of you who survived, were at the Money Penny fireworks the other night. No, just no, no big disasters the other night. No fireworks going sideways or anything like that. Um, but we celebrated, we remembered that day in 1776 on July 4th when the signers of the Constitution or, you know, the days are all a little bit murky with when what happened. But on July 4th, we celebrate the, the day that we declared our independence from King George in England. And there are all kinds of things that we do to remember. On Memorial Day, we remember those who have fallen in battle. And we also typically take it as a time to appreciate our military anyway. And Veterans Day, all of these days, we remember what people have done for us. Jesus says, remember, essentially, he says, remember what I did for you. Or as he Prepare the disciples, remember what I am about to do for you. This doesn't make sense to you now. It will a little bit later. So what does it mean to remember Jesus' death? Is this meal simply a memorial, a reminder that Jesus died so that we might have eternal life? It's at least that. A.M. Hunter says this, remembering in a biblical sense, is not to entertain a palette or a, a pale, colorless idea of a past event in one's mind, but to make the event present again so that it controls the will and becomes, the potent, becomes potent in our lives for good or ill. It makes a difference in our lives whether it's good or bad when we remember it. We have communion at Grace once a month. A lot of you grew up in a church that had communion only once a quarter. Others of you uh, once a week or you spend significant time in a church like that. Let's just take a little poll. If you have spent most of your life taking communion once a quarter, raise your hand. Okay, there are the Baptists. Uh, Once a month, there are the in-betweens, you know. Once a week, every week. Look at that. We're uh, that's the smallest group, but but still, uh, it's fairly evenly divided. What what is the reason for not doing communion every week? Obviously, it's because of the danger of it becoming too routine. 
especially when we observe communion at the end of the service, it would be easy for your mind to wander and to lose the importance and the very wonder of what we are doing. I hope that won't be the case after this morning. Jesus intended this table. Think about this. Jesus intended this table to be one of the most significant practices in the lives of his followers, his church. Today's text is Mark 14, 12 to 25. Most of the time is going to be spent in the last four verses. So remain seated while I work through verses 12 through 21, commenting briefly here and there, and then I will ask you to stand when we get to verse 22. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, remember, Jesus and his disciples were in Bethany. Um, It was required of those who were celebrating the Passover at Jerusalem to eat within the walls. Because of the big crowds, they would extend that a little bit. I don't know exactly how they did it. Maybe like police tape, you know. If you're inside this, you're good. So they said, where do you want us to go and prepare? it?" Now remember, last week we talked about how Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread were back to back. Passover, one day. Unleavened Bread, seven days. Some people lumped them lumped it all together and said Passover. Others lumped it all together and said unleavened bread. Mark does that right here. Passover was on the 14th day of Nisan, the Jewish month that overlapped March and April. Now, uh, for those of you that that it matters, I'm just going to say this real quickly and, and move on. People debate whether this Thursday was actually the 13th or the 14th. The day began for the, on the Jewish calendar at sunset. So they ate the Passover meal after sunset. Did they eat it on the 14th or the 15th? It, it really is not that significant in the scheme of things. Well, it is to some people, and I don't mean to, to diminish its importance of getting it right if it's important to you. Uh, regardless, most likely it was in the year A.D. 33. And he sent, verse 13, two of his disciples. Luke tells us that this was Peter and John. And he said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? This was all odd anyway. I mean, usually women were carrying water, water, not men. And, and so what was happened? Was this prearranged or was it just one of those miraculous things? We don't know. And he will show you, the man will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. There is a, a pretty decent chance That this was the same house that is mentioned in Acts 12. And if that's the case, this was Mark's house. Interesting. Mark's house. The guy who wrote the gospel. So they go. And and maybe, I I don't know. We we, we get the sense that Jesus is there with the 12. Was anybody else there? Probably not. But maybe Mark was downstairs as the disciples and Jesus ate in this upper room. And when it was evening... He came with the twelve 
And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to one of you, or I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. I don't know what you know about Passover meals. They're really celebrations. This was a night when there should have been a great deal of celebrating. Um, But... When Jesus prophesied that one of the twelve would betray him, the mood turned very sorrowful. Judas had done such a thorough job of hiding his character that they doubted themselves. I mean, they didn't say to each other, hey, you think it's Thomas? He doubts a lot, that guy. What about, nobody suspected Judas as far as we know. Nobody suspected him. There is no evidence in any of the Gospels that Judas left before the meal was served. That's significant, isn't it? It's a reminder that just because we partake of the elements at this table doesn't mean that we're automatically Christians. We must approach the Lord and His table in faith. Not so that we might be saved, but because we are saved. We belong to Him. We're united with Him. We identify with Him. What does it all mean? Well, that's going to be the focus of the remainder of our time. So, we've reached that point. We're at verse 22. So, would you please stand as we read Mark 14, 22 through 25. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Father, we long for that day when we eat and drink with our Savior Jesus in the kingdom of God. In the meantime, we come to this table rejoicing in what you have done for us through your son Jesus. We come sorrowfully regretting that our sin put Jesus there and that even as children of the Lord we have sinned and not lived according to the name that has been given to us. So Lord, we also come to this table looking forward We look back, we look inwardly, upwardly right now. And we look forward to the day when Jesus will call us to himself. May it be soon, Lord Jesus.
Amen. Thank you and be seated. The Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, communion or participation or sharing, as the case may be, communion in the King James, participation in the ESV and the NIV, sharing in the NASB, the cup of blessing, the breaking of bread, all of these designations are are for the meal that believers share in obedience to one of the two ways that we are called to identify with Jesus. Uh, the other sign of our connection is with Christ is in baptism. And in August, I'm going to spend a couple of weeks, at least a couple of weeks in Romans 6, talking about that union with Christ that we have through baptism. And I just want to encourage you, we will be having a baptism somewhere in that neighborhood, some, somewhere during that time. If you are interested, please talk to me. If you've never been baptized, this is of crucial importance. Let's begin to talk about that and think about it. So much so, baptism is so important that a lot of people say, I went to church today, I, I received uh, the elements, I, I worshiped in song, I heard the word, and I remembered my baptism. And you'll understand that a little more when we get to it. Not that I'm going to encourage you to say those things every day, but... Listen, baptism, this table, far more important than many of us think of them as being. Um, the word communion in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 comes from the Greek word koinonia, uh, which like the Greek word agape is one of those you may know. What does koinonia mean? Anybody? Fellowship. You knew it. I know you were just scared to say it. Because I would say, no, that's wrong. Um, fellowship, koinonia, people talk about koinonia fellowship. Uh, we usually translate it as that in the English. The ESV and the NIV translate koinonia in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 as participation. As in, we participate in the body of Christ when we come to this table. We participate, we fellowship in the blood of Christ. What does that mean? I'm not sure I know. Let's get at it, though. We'll move in that direction. Um, in other words, there's something quite intimate about this meal. It is so intimate, in fact, that just a moment ago I said something you may have picked up on, maybe not. But it was an incomplete explanation of what happens, and we'll come back to that later. We've already seen that this meal that Jesus is sharing with his disciples is the Passover meal. I know that many, maybe most of you have been to a Seder, a Passover, where the, the, the people who are leading that meal talk about how all the meal pointed to Jesus Christ, and it did, just like everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus and Jesus has said over and over in Mark, you think that was a big deal? The big deal is here. There's something greater than Solomon here. Something greater than the temple is here. You're missing it. It was all pointing to me. All of it was. Um, you'll recall, if you've been to the Seder, uh, that the meal explains all of the elements of the Passover when God delivered the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. When he 
required the blood of a lamb to be splattered on the door frames and above the door. I don't know if that connection was there. Seems like it seems plausible to me that he was, it was almost like a, a, a cross where Jesus' head and his hands, uh, blood was splattered certainly over and over and over in that meal. It points to Jesus. The death angel was sent to kill the firstborn of all the families that didn't have the blood applied to the door. Not just the Egyptian houses, but the death angel went through the Jewish camp. And if anyone had not applied the blood, they suffered the same consequences. Now, they knew the Egyptians didn't. But once again, unless you believe and obey God's word, there's no automatic salvation for you just because you attend church just because you do good works because you give money because you take communion because you've been baptized none of those things matter if you don't believe that Jesus died for you and if you don't repent of your sin and give him your life that doesn't mean you'll be perfect my goodness no You may struggle for a long time, but look, I'm not nearly as concerned when you're struggling. I'm concerned when you're not struggling. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's time to go to church. But really, the other stuff is just kind of doesn't matter. Well, the lamb that was killed to get the blood for the door to be eaten by the family, was to be eaten by the family just before the the Lord delivered them from Egypt. From that day forward, God's covenant people were to observe Passover at that time of year in remembrance of what God had done for them. So the Passover meal was typically a joyful celebration. Kids running around. Very serious, but very festive at the same time. Not so on this night with his disciples. The disciples were troubled by Jesus' announcement that one of them would betray him. Table fellowship meant way more to the Jews than simply eating a meal together. Look, I'll be eating meals with many of you this week. My wife is in Australia. My house is flooded. I'll be eating out. You know, it's... It's a shame, but somebody's got to do it, you know, it's kind of thing. But I'm not going to look deeply into your eyes and we're going to have this intimate moment when we're eating. We'll have fun, you know, that kind of thing. It'll be more fun if you'll pick up the bit. No, I'm just kidding about it. I'm not that kind of preacher, I promise you. I buy way more meals than I have bought for me. Um, but but in, to the Jews, when you ate with somebody... It was a promise that you would do this person no harm. It was evidence of a special relationship between them and you. To betray the one who had given you bread was a terrible evil. By the way, that's why, don't you see how that's why it was so difficult for the Pharisees to look at Jesus eating with tax collectors and other ne'er-do-wells, you know, because of what that mealtime meant. It's like you're identifying with these guys. And Jesus was like, yeah, yeah, I am. And guess what? We don't eat together. 
There was a heaviness in the air as Jesus prepared to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for sinners. He was, as John the Baptist had declared, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb, of course, is one of the key elements at a Passover meal. It's not a vegetarian meal. And yet, none of the Gospels indicates that there was a lamb at this meal. For there to have been a lamb at this meal, someone would have had to taken it to the temple and have it sacrificed. Jesus certainly didn't. I don't know that any of the disciples did. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Either way, Jesus spoke words that brought new meaning to this meal that had been celebrated for nearly 1,500 years. And perhaps there was no lamb, and he was serving as the lamb of God. All of the disciples' senses were engaged. The Passover meal always did that. All of the senses are engaged at this meal. You can smell it, you can see it, you can feel it, you can taste it. You can hear the sound of the wine being poured, even the bread broken, perhaps. But on this night, their minds were especially active when Jesus was saying the things that he did. And at the end, they said, I got nothing. I mean, just, I don't have any idea what he's talking about. That would change, though. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I've enjoyed the most in this study of Mark is just being able to project myself sort of right into the situation as much as possible, walking alongside the disciples, following Jesus, hearing his words, watching the things that he does, feeling the joy, the excitement, and the confusion of the disciples. As some of the stuff just doesn't make sense. Imagine this scene. Luke tells us that they were reclining, which means it was both formal and festive. But they were troubled with this news of a traitor. There had been a lot of trouble with the Jewish leaders and it could be bad. They knew that. Now Jesus will break the bread and lift the cup predicting his death. It wouldn't be just any death but rather one in which his blood sealed the new covenant between God and his people. It's interesting, is it not, that Jesus chose such a common activity, a daily activity, by which he was to be remembered? Do you suppose that the disciples ever sat down to the breaking of bread and the pouring of the fruit of the vine when they didn't remember this night? I'm going to guess they always remembered this. I doubt they ever failed to remember. And we look at our watches and say, okay, let's get on with it. Well, you don't, but people in a lot of churches do. I'm never talking about you. I want you to know that. It's people in other churches. The Lord's Supper held significant meaning to the disciples for the rest of their lives. And, and, and be honest, it, it has so little meaning. For many of us. I want us to stop right now. Just prepare our hearts. For the words of institution. That Jesus spoke on that Thursday night. In the light of his pending sacrifice. Bert Wallace. Would you just 
ask the Lord to prepare our hearts for his words and then for this meal. Amen. Well, Jesus took the bread and broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, this is my body. To a Semite, uh, the body was far more than just the, f- the flesh and bones, the physical part. It was the soul, it was a, the mind, it was the emotions, it was everything. Take, this is my body. May not seem like that big of a deal to you, but to those who would partake that night, they knew, knew that Jesus implied much more than, hey, this is going to remind you of me. Jesus was in some way uniting himself with his disciples. Earlier I had said, this is the way that we identify with Jesus. I don't know if you caught that. But it's not just the way that we identify with Jesus. It's the way that he identifies with us. This is... Also true in baptism. It is the way that he unites himself with us. Anything that I say from here out, please understand this. I do not believe that the partaking of the elements or the baptism itself saves you. I believe you can be saved apart from that. I, but this is so important that we neglect a huge important It's part of our lives if we fail to give it the meaning that Jesus instilled in it on that night. Um, When we partake of the bread and the juice by faith, Jesus identifies himself with us. Praise be his name. This is my body given for you, Paul records in 1 Corinthians 11, 24. Communion is not something we observe as spectators, but it's a meal in which we participate. It is a fellowship, a union that is being affirmed when we receive the bread and juice. Ulrich Zwingli was a contemporary of Martin Luther and John Calvin. A lot was said about communion in the early days of the church. And then in the Reformation, there was a lot more that was, people thought deeply about it. And lots of people died in the 16th century because of their views of of communion. Imagine that. I mean, you know, we can run out of here and go kill the other guys. I mean, that's essentially what they did. Zwingli, but, but there was important, very important theological prayerful theological work that was done, and people came to somewhat different conclusions. Zwingli um, said the sacraments serve as a public testimony of a previous grace. It's a memorial view. It's what most of us have grown up with. We would say that, that this is a public testimony of a previous grace. 
And it doesn't mean that it's just like, oh, well, it's one day when we remember. It's important. It's, it's very important what the Lord has done for us. Zwingli was not trying to diminish the importance of communion by saying it's, it is a memorial because that's how we understood Scripture. Such a view takes Jesus' words, do this in remembrance of me, quite literally. But there are a lot of people, Catholics and Lutherans included, who take Jesus' other words at the supper as recorded by Matthew quite literally as well. Take, eat, this is my body. So that this is truly the body and blood of Christ. Now, the Catholic view and the, and the Lutheran view, is they're worlds apart. In fact, you think of Catholics are here, Lutherans are here, Calvin and a lot of Reformed theologians are here, and Zwingliites, Baptists who are memorial are here. But Luther is way closer over here. When Luther came up with his view, the other two were inevitable. Don't have time to go into that uh, today. But they took those words of Matthew literally, take and eat, this is my body. It's funny, you know, how... Some take this part literally, some take the other part literally. Um, L- Luther got the ball rolling. And, and look, if, if you want to know more about this, let me encourage you to sign up for the church history class. We're going to be talking a lot more about that and soon. And we changed the format a little. All of our <clears throat> classes are going to be here once a month a couple uh, months, maybe one or two months, we'll have two sessions here at church. But it's just going to be, you know, easier to handle, I think, than it was last year. We learned a little bit, but it's going to be, there are going to be so many resources available. So more details will be coming about that soon. Uh, John Calvin had a different view of communion than Luther and Zwingli. Calvin believed that Jesus is spiritually spiritually present when believers partake of communion. He saw communion as a means of grace or a way in which Jesus aids our spiritual lives. And Therefore, you hear people saying things like, be nourished by this meal. Feed on the Lord. But He is spiritually present when we partake. I, 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 what should you believe? I'm going to imagine that most of you are going to believe one of these two views. And in fact, it's probably more down the middle than you think. Uh, you may think that a lot of most people here would take a memorial view. Probably a lot more than you would think take a spiritual presence view. Either way, the point is do not take this meal for granted. Spiritual presence is not in any way like the Catholic or Lutheran views, either one. It is just the sense that this meal, the Lord meets with us in a very special way at this meal. After the bread had been eaten, all the disciples drank from the same cup. The cup that Jesus not only declared to be his blood, but the blood of the new covenant. Now, if you haven't been here for all of these talks about covenants in the Old Testament. I'm just going to give a quick review, and maybe you'll catch a little bit of this. For those of you that have heard it before, this hopefully will be a reminder. 
In the ancient Near East, back in the days of Abraham, when two uh, kings were, were two little states or nations, small nations were next to each other, oftentimes the stronger king would come to the weaker king and he would say, let's make a, let's make a deal, let's make a treaty. But it wasn't an even kind of a thing. The stronger king would say things like, I will give you so many horses, I will protect you from that guy over there. And I will do this, this, and this. But in, in return, you're going to have to provide so many men for the army. You're going to have to pay taxes. And you're going to have to shine my shoes when you come, you know, to, the, to my, my territory. Probably not that. But anyway, the covenant was ratified not when they signed a treaty, but when they had a meal. Meals are so important in Scripture. And here's how the meal would work. You'd take an animal, certain animals, and you'd cut them in half. And you'd split them apart. You'd just put them over here and over here. And then the weaker, sometimes both kings would walk through. Sometimes the weaker king would walk through. And essentially, in doing so, the treaty was ratified. And what he was doing by walking through was to say, if I break the conditions of this covenant, I understand, O stronger king, you will break me. So God said to Abraham, we're going to make a covenant. And he told Abraham to get the animals. He said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. He told him to get the animals, put them aside. And God had promised great blessings to Abraham. And then he put Abraham to sleep. And Abraham saw a theophany or a, a, an appearance of God, not as God the Father, God the Son. God came as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, and it walked through. Fire often represented God. Remember Moses at the burning bush? So, and the, and the fire going before the Israelites and behind them, protecting them from their enemies. So, here's the deal. God says to Abraham, let's make a covenant. I will bless you in this way, just like the stronger king said to the weaker king. I will bless you in these ways. And then he put Abraham to sleep, and he said, and if... Your side of the covenant is broken. I will take the consequences upon myself. No conditions. No conditions on Abraham. A little bit later, he said, circumcision will identify you with me. Just like baptism and communion identify us with God now. He said, circumcision will identify you with me. But there were no conditions on Abraham. Fifth. Oh, 400 plus years later, at Mount Sinai, when he had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said, okay, it's time for me to tell you what your conditions are in the Ten Commandments or the entire law of God. We have no hope of keeping that. Over and over, God's covenant people failed to keep his law, and God brought consequences upon them their nation was defeated they were taken into captivity they were killed horrible things they would turn back to God and it was just back and forth back and forth until it was very clear it's not going to happen we're not going to be there we're never going to be those people that keep our end of the covenant and so when Jesus said when he took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body given for you and when he raised the cup and he said This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many. He was essentially saying, 
the pieces are cut, you have sinned, consequences have to be made, I am going to take the consequences upon myself. We'll go much deeper in a few weeks about what that meant when Jesus was crucified. Mark makes it clear that all the disciples drank from the same cup as Jesus. Let me ask you, how many people do you drink after? How many people do you share ice cream with? Family, really good friends, right? Maybe if you're doing some pretty tough labor, they'll pass the water around. Get everybody sweat in there as well as, you know, backwash and get it in there. But you're pretty close to somebody when you drink, right? We got the little cups. Um, When they drank that night, they all drank from the same cup. Only one person's blood was being symbolized here, Jesus' blood. But not only did this unite them with Jesus in that special way, it bonded them together, bound them together. As well. After Jesus shared the cup with the disciples. Declaring in a most somber atmosphere. That this was his blood. The disciples were surely cheered when Jesus said. Truly I say to you. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine. Until the day when I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. In other words, the bread and wine would not only look back to Jesus' death, but also forward to a day when believers will celebrate with Jesus in the kingdom. As we prepare to come to this table that means so much to the followers of Jesus, I'm going to acknowledge that today's message may have created more questions than answers in your mind about communion. But you know what? That's okay. Quit trying to know everything there is to know about Scripture right now. The beautiful thing about Scripture is we'll always be learning. Don't allow yourself to go into such a corner that there's no way out when God begins to reveal to you more truth. Not always, not rarely is it different about how you have believed, but it's fuller oftentimes than you knew was there. So it's okay if you don't understand everything. Please understand this though. We are called to believe what we know. And we know that Jesus gave his life for us. We know that he has called us to this table. And that it binds us to him and it binds us to one another. Afresh and anew. Most of us are once saved, always saved. I am. I am. But if that is the foundation of your theology, it gets in the way of all that Scripture says about this relationship being a continual relationship, a continuous relationship, that constantly we're walking with God. He saved us, yes, but He is saving us and He will save us from all of this one day. And this union with Him is a fresh and a new 
Are we united with Christ? If we never take this again, are we still united with Christ? Yes, if we believe that Jesus died for us. If we have repented and we truly believe. But why would we never take it again? He says, do it. And this is really important. Believe and act on what you know. When we gather at this table, we proclaim that we are sinners. And that there is a price to pay for sin. I also acknowledge my belief that Jesus gave his body and spilled his blood to pay the penalty for my sin. Jesus died in my place. When I take the bread and I take the cup, I say, I believe. Remember, though, not only am I identifying with Jesus every time, he's identifying with me. And that's far more important. But we also identify with one another at the Lord's table. We say that we are united with him and we are united with one another. As our servers come forward, I'm going to take just a few instructions. Or get, take just a few moments to give instructions. If you would, please, servers, come forward.